Lord, I'm in his prayers. I, I've been edified from uh, Joe's little hobby here for sure. I've really enjoyed listening to everybody. Lord, I know just my history of being interviewed has never been all that good, but uh, maybe you can use this somehow. Mm -hmm. And uh, thank you that Joe's willing to invest his time in doing this stuff. I know how much time it takes. It's very cool that he's doing it. Here with Ted Howell, Andre Howell, Lauren, and myself here at Bowman Hall, room 221 again. Second time we've been here. I like the little yellow house. It could be. That's such a a great, like, uh, connector. Pretty much everybody in our age group that lives in So does have some shade of, like, yellow. Yeah. Except the Legats. Okay, so we're here with Ted. Ted brought his wife, Andre. I brought my wife, Lauren. We're here primarily to talk about Ted and his life, how he came to Christ, how he really decided to follow Christ, what's been going on in his life since then, and then specifically, I'm sure we'll get into the Helping Hands farm. So we're going to talk about that. But Ted, I want to tell you the reason why we had to have you on the podcast was, number one, you're a big fan, and you've been really encouraging about the podcast. You listen, but then I've had a couple different people tell me you have to have Ted on. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I want to hear Ted's story. I want to hear a Ted podcast. So my wife has said that because you and I have a have a haircutting friendship. <laughs> um, but other people have said that to me. Yeah. So well, I am a big fan of this Joe show. I've been very encouraged by it. Uh, it's just fun to listen to, and you know, I don't know everybody in our fellowship anymore. Mm-hmm. Like Nick Raysack, I I didn't know his whole story, and then. You know, Ellie Morsher, Rosler. I mean, we grew up with her. Mm-hmm. So. It's cool to see, and even people that I do know, like Ellie, I know Ellie, but I didn't know what was going on in her life. So it was cool to get an update to see what was really going on. We're going to do the same for you today, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you have to work your audio magic. Okay. We're up for it. Welcome to this Joe Show. On today's episode, Ted was raised to value hard work and success, but a chance encounter changed his course. Now the Lord is working to make his dream a reality in ways he could have never imagined and give others significance to on the farm. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. I just can't see how I could come up with the money. And then, uh, just like the Lord, he's like, well, let me provide it a whole different solution. You're going this way. I got a way better way. I grew up in the Finger Lakes region of New York. It was part of a church-going family. For the most part, it was based on music, though, interestingly enough. It's like everybody in my family sang in the choir. My mom was a church organist, classical organist. So it was all part of who they were was singing or playing instruments or Mm. the organ. But I don't think, with the exception of my dad, anybody was a believer. I think there was believers in that church. It was a Presbyterian church, but it was more of a, you know, let's go do our music thing. Let's go to church because that's what people do. I never really heard the gospel when I was there. The head pastor's daughter got saved and she was super excited and reached out to me. I had several people throughout my life reach out to me and I 
kind of just pushed them off. My brother, being probably who got saved later, prayed. He and his wife prayed for me for years. So I attribute a lot of you know my eagerness at some point to know the Lord on their prayers. Very very cool. And the, you know we have a really cool bond now that we're both Christians. And he's kind of my one of my spiritual heroes. Just a really awesome guy. He's older than you. Yeah, he's okay. twelve years older than me. Which kind of gets to I had kind of a wacky family. I had two brothers die. One before I was born died of leukemia, mm-hmm. and then I had another brother that was in between us. It was six years older than me. That died in a car accident. My parents tried to have another kid and they'd kind of given up and my mom had many, many miscarriages and then I was kind of the surprise years later. I was one of four boys, but I was the youngest by a lot. I didn't realize that you were the youngest sibling in the family. Yeah. And and the other thing that it's just part of my background or the family dynamic is my parents got divorced when nobody's parents got divorced. It was a really shameful thing for me. Uh, I was embarrassed by that and kind of went into a hole, you know, because of that. Was that something that you put on yourself or you, you felt yourself or did people actually give you a hard time about that? Um, it was mostly myself, but I mean, we were the one that everybody gossiped about, all the neighbors. So, I mean, it, it's just, so we were the only family that had gotten divorced of all my friends and mm-hmm. that neighbor. And I, I grew up in pretty rural, so there wasn't a lot of neighbors. So that was hard. And I really blame my mom for that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and I'm sure my dad played a, a role in all that, too. But he was like a, like a super sensitive guy. He had been in uh, World War II, probably had PTSD. Mm-hmm. He had a couple of nervous breakdowns, and he was just a very gentle, sensitive guy. And my mom was pretty tough. She kind of took you know, more of the male role in, in my family. Uh, I was just kind of bitter towards that. My dad ended up moving to California, and I would see him every once in a while. I blamed my mom, so that, that was always kind of a, a weird relationship. Even years later, she had moved in with us, eventually became a believer, which was really awesome. But there was always kind of this weird tension. So we kind of came, I came from a pretty tough situation. My mom was super smart, you know, Val Victorian, all that, incredibly hardworking. So that was kind of the ethos of our family. You know, this is what we we're going to be. There was no question I was going to go to college. Both my dad and my mom were the first ones to go to college in their families. So okay. it was a big deal. But that was supposed to be my ticket was go to a good school and you get a good job and, th- and then life will be fine. I ended up going to school at Purdue, studied mechanical engineering. Math and science kind of came pretty easy to me. Truly enjoyed the college life. I was in a fraternity. <laughs> yeah. was president of my fraternity. I mean, all the things you think of, you know, drinking and womanizing was a big yeah, part I of was, that uh, whole lifestyle. I, I told somebody who knows you really well that I would be doing a podcast with you and they said, oh, make sure you ask him about his fraternity yeah. life. Oh, yeah. Yes. Was that key? Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I still have some good friends from that, that time. It was... You know, a pretty high (laughs) level of debauchery, you know, (laughs) lots of amazing stories. I mean, there was a period of time, and this is, I mean, I graduated in 85, you know, so realize how long ago it was. I was the social chairman for a year. Our budget per month 
was $3,000 to have parties. And we had parties. I in mean, 1985. Yeah, in the early wow. 80s. Yeah. Oh, I mean, we had a party where we, in the wintertime, like February, where, and, and we had pledges, which is like indentured servants. We this had, was back in like hazing. Is, uh, yeah, is hazing acceptable. was all part of it. Yeah. Yes. We had a beach party and we had the pledges bring in sand into the basement, fill their basement with about four inches of sand <laughs> so we could have a beach party in the middle of the winter. You know, volleyball net. And, and it was really probably just to get girls in bikinis. It was probably the motive. I'm, I'm sure of it. But, get girls yeah. in their bikinis. Yeah. <laughs> $3,000 yes. Yeah. So it's pretty wild. We would have a dozen kegs. We'd have a party almost every night. Yeah, I almost failed out of school. I mean, I was really good at the social chairman thing. Not so good. I mean, it just like, I felt I had to be at everything, you know? (laughs) (laughs) The chairman, I've got to be there. (laughs) So, yeah, that was uh, a lot of really crazy times. We were on, like, double secret probation most of the time I was there. (laughs) The police would stop by on a fairly regular basis, and I'd be the one they'd always push out in front Uh because I could communicate while drunk. Yes, officer. Yeah, I survived. The Lord was looking out for me or whatever. Mm. So during that time growing up, you said you'd gone to church a little bit, but it was more like a musical thing, maybe an obligation that your family was doing. And then going off to college, was there ever any spiritual interest that you had or anything going on like that? I didn't. There was one guy in our fraternity that was probably a believer that invited me to go to his church one time, and I did it one time. A lot of people would go to uh, the Catholic Mass because that's where all the girls were so the girls was a a pretty uh, key motivator for much of everything we did but my brother he lived in indiana too they went to assemblies of god church and they became believers and i can remember them trying to reach out to me but i was just arrogant and it's like i know he wasn't prepared to argue with me at that point you know it's like well that's what the bible says i'm like well who wrote the bible you know man wrote the Bible. he just couldn't really argue with me at that point my heart wasn't really ready to to uh hear the gospel but he was probably praying behind the scenes oh yeah oh yeah that kind of thing so i graduated and i had one of the best jobs of all my friends i mean back during those days companies would come to school to try to recruit people so i didn't have to go look for a job this guy's the social chairman (laughs) well that must be can communicate effectively yeah i mean an engineer that could communicate was that's really a big deal, big, actually. You know, I ended up working for Johnson Controls right out of school. Yeah, I lived in Chicago for a while, and then I got transferred to Cleveland, and then I've been here in the Cleveland area ever since. So I graduated, and I hated my job. So it was like, oh, I just don't have the right job. That's that's what my problem is. I had decided that I wanted to go back to grad school. Mm-hmm. That that would get me the job that I wanted. But again, part of Going to grad school, my grades, I mean, I went to Purdue, so it was a good school. My grades weren't anything great. So I had to do really well in my graduate management acceptance or GMAT. So I studied for that. Again, I was good in math and science. So I thought, I'll take an English class, and that'll help me do well on that portion as well. Mm-hmm. So I went to Tri-C, I'll take an English class, and walk into class one day, this girl is sitting in the middle of the hallway. 
and it ends up being Adam Pretenyak's mom, Maria. She invented Flirt and Convert. I mean, that, <laughs> at, that, at one point, every guy in our, you know, we were at the very beginning of Xenos Cleveland, but every guy that came, she brought. And That's awesome. Yeah, she was just a gifted evangelist. And she was pretty. <laughs> yeah, she was just super nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had a girlfriend at the time, but, you know, I'm like, you know, what are you doing sitting in the middle of Florida? How are you thinking you're actually studying? You're getting anything accomplished? She was just super nice. And she invited me over to her parents' house for dinner one night. I'm like, okay, you know, I can do that. She was, you know, reaching out to me. And I'm like, oh, that's good for you kind of thing. I remember her saying, I've just never met anybody so self-assured as you are. And I'm like, yeah, I have to, like, stick my chest out. You know, like, yeah, that's who I am, you know. And uh, reality was all a facade. Much of my life through that period of time was just a big facade. I, okay. On the outside, I looked professional like I really had it together so do you think she knew that or she was really saying hey you seem I would guess she knew that no she was well, poking you know, I mean it's just like maybe. you and I you know it's like we talk to somebody that doesn't know the Lord they want to present themselves as you know they really have it together you know apart from the Lord how how do you really have it together you know? it's hard to keep it together with the Lord I, so. exactly yeah. exactly <laughs> you know I mean now now we have an opportunity to be honest and humble and go I yeah. don't have it together mm-hmm. you know I don't have to pretend so anyway she invited me we had a home church up in Cleveland Heights that your parents were at yeah. she's like inviting me but I can't go so I'm like well I don't care I went anyway so I just showed up at somebody's house so what really? made what made you want to go without being interested spiritually what made you want to go I'm to a Bible sure study I was about? all that spiritually interested but I also knew that my life wasn't all that together either that's a really good question I'm not sure I have a great answer to I wasn't afraid to go check something out yeah you're the chairman yeah. of a the social holy spirit yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I had a similar experience when I was in college I was dating Lauren but Lauren wasn't in college yet I knew Lauren's brother Eric and some of his friends were doing a bible study and I just didn't have anything going on relationally so I'm like well I might as well go yeah. to the bible study I'm not interested in the bible study per se I'm just interested in hanging out with some people that are good dudes you know i know that i'll have a good time i kind of know them so yeah i didn't know anybody there wow but dennis mccallum taught he made it so clear the very first night that i mean i had heard many times that jesus died for your sins but it was the first time and it was like the light went off no he died for my sins specifically Mm -hmm. you know i was separated from him i was separated from god and it just made, it was like a light bulb went off almost immediately. I remember just going home, going, you know, and he made it really clear that you have to ask. And I received Christ the very first night. Yeah, so I lived about an hour away. And I don't know if I missed the meeting for the next however many years. Back then it was, I think Lena was the first person from Cleveland to get saved. And Greg was coming around, but he was from Columbus, originally from Cleveland. And then um, Bill Murray and myself. And Indre was there too, but we didn't connect right away, which I think was the Lord, actually. Again, girls were a big part of my whole world. That was the last thing I needed if I was going to grow with the Lord. It's like I had blinders on. And Indre was coming around at the same time. And both of us didn't even notice each other for many, many months. Oh, wow. And it was a small church. I mean, we met in somebody's living room, and I didn't notice. I didn't notice her. Yep. That must have been the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So was, really... was Lena then reaching out to you? 
when was it in that time period that you got saved? In relation to him? Probably around the same time. Really? And then you didn't notice each other. And then all of a sudden, who is this? <laughs> there was <laughs> Canola, you know? So the first night you come, you receive Christ. Do you say, hey, everybody, this is great. I'm doing this. Or no. Well, so here's all that was going on, too. It's like I had taken my GMAT. I got one of the top scores in the country. It was mm. unbelievable. So I was going to go to Denver, University of Denver, because they had a real specific program. Do you remember the Bob Newhart show? Yeah. We had a little in or whatever. I was going to do that. I was going to be a developer. I was going to go do that. And that was the best school in the country to do that. I was going there. There was a girl in my apartment complex that we had become friends, and she was going there. We're going to go together. And then it's just like... I put the brakes on the whole thing. I'm like, I got to figure this out. I can't go. And about the same time, the guys had the very first ministry house. And John Bogdan, who mm-hmm. I know you know, mm-hmm. and Greg were in it. And they invited me to move in. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. You know, so I was a real newbie. It's funny hearing this story. I'm like, but what are you going to do about graduate school, Dad? <laughs> like, what are you thinking? Yeah. Well, I ended up going to Case. Okay, good school. Yeah. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, nice exactly. But, but so I went there, but I didn't, I didn't even finish because, quite honestly, ministry was a big part of what was going on. Okay. Andrea and I. Yeah, the reason you were uh, going to grad school was like, hey, I, maybe this will make my life work in a way that it hadn't before. Right. So now life maybe is starting to work. Again, it was kind of my family thing. It's like, go get your education, go get a job, life will be good. Mm -hmm. Because that's, that's what defines... My brother was pretty much a workaholic and it's, you know, worked incredibly hard. You know, so he was another guy that's like, I was just modeling, hey, you know, if we work hard enough, somehow we'll find that job. I think it was also, and maybe it is still to this day, but it was part of, I graduated with a degree in engineering and management. The whole management thing, they're teaching you the psychology was, is you just have to be fulfilled with the job that you're, that you create. That was what my thinking was. But, you know, here I'd been out of school for a while. I'm like, this is terrible. I don't like this at all. You know, I'm not fulfilled. I was lonely. All of a sudden, the Lord pops in and it's like, and, it, and I can't say that I haven't struggled in my life because I absolutely have but for the most part and Indra's been a big part of that she's you know I think she's got a real gift of faith and she's always been so steady I'm a little bit more sanguine so I have highs and lows but you know it was like no this is what we're going to be about this is what our family is we pray and we try to figure things out we haven't always been successful at that I think we've been in five or six home churches leading them some have failed some have been more successful than others and neither of us have ever felt that we were really gifted at leadership or anything like that but we were it's like well if the lord presents it i don't want to be the one to say no to god you mm-hmm. know so i will stick my big toe in the water and see what happens yeah if you think i'm the man for the job lord you might know better than i do <laughs> yeah pretty quickly you're able to take some pretty awesome steps of faith to put the brakes on the graduate school in Denver and move into ministry house and do some things where sometimes it takes people years yeah. to make decisions like or if ever they do yeah you know and I don't want to sound like oh I've always you know made great decisions and never struggled because that's just not true the early years you know, we didn't have really strong leadership of the leadership that we had were fairly new at it and we were a brand new church Mm -hmm. 
It really wasn't until Keith came up. That it's like Keith's like, well, why isn't Ted Howell in leadership? Well, I don't know. Keith would be the one that would push somebody forward. And so that's really when we started everything from home church leadership. I think we started JHQ, those very early days, chill like junior high program, discovery groups. We've been at the beginning of a lot of those things. How did you then notice Andre? So let's, let's get she'll, back to she'll that. probably back hate to this, it. but I, I do tell this story just because I think it's amazing. Joe Guzzo was like, hey, you know, what do you think of Andre? At the same time, he was connecting Greg and Lynn up too. So, I mean, oh, you, wow. you know, we uh, were in the basement of Guzzo's house. I think we talked for the first time and there's like a ping pong table there. We're talking. And then all of a sudden it was like blonde, blue eye, she had this real cute short kind of bob thing. I think that's what they call it and like whoa she's beautiful where has she been (laughs) yeah i mean i was dating somebody fairly seriously during just prior to all that you know my parents had gotten divorced you know and it was like i didn't see any recipe for success in marriage so it wasn't like i never thought i would get married but i was just like i don't know how it's ever gonna work so it wasn't until i really understood god's grace and being able to serve and love somebody that then all of a sudden oh I could see this we didn't date a super long time not great with dates or whatever but I got married when I was 27 I think we'd been dating like two years or something at that point I think we got engaged in December and married the following April you know really fast it's a year time. and a half basically yeah. so is this true that Ted is not really good at dates well you know the there oh, was you this. were whining and dining me, man. We were going to all these fancy restaurants. Yeah. I'm like, I don't believe that for a second <laughs> yeah, that he's not yeah. good at dates. Yeah, no. well, I had, well, it was a whole new deal, though, because dating as a believer now is like, oh, that's I didn't. True. I didn't know what the rules were. That was were, weird. You know? yeah. So we dated for a while. I never kissed her. I mean, for <laughs> months. She's Are we allowed like, to kiss now that we're Christians? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I had a pretty good job. So, And actually, the other thing that happened all during that time, so the girls, Indra and Lina and Maria Britannia, it was Maria Crowley back then, and three or four other girls were thinking that they should live in a ministry house. So I ended up buying a house and they lived in it. So I was kind of a slumlord, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I ended up marrying my uh, tenants. tenants. Yeah. <laughs> but she actually was the one that found found their first house. Girls lived in it and then we got married and we just lived in an apartment because we didn't need a big house. But that was kind of fun. What year did you guys get married? 88. Good. That's <laughs> you remembered. 88. So I lived in a ministry house, and Lauren lived right down the street. Same street. Oh, did we really? Yes. I Is vaguely remember Heights? that. Cleveland Heights. I definitely remember us living in our house. I think I do remember, like, hanging out on your guys' porch yeah. or something. Yeah, you were real little. She yeah. was very precocious even back then. <laughs> So funny. So many stories. It's so embarrassing. (laughs) Whenever people bring those stories up from my past. (laughs) 
but like not a lot has changed. Yeah, Cleveland Heights, that was like the first area we moved to from Cincinnati. And I, I must have been like four maybe when we lived there and then moved to Bedford. So along the way, you guys got married. You had three daughters. So what has it been like to raise three daughters and now see them go off and get married and yeah. start life on their own? It's pretty amazing. I, you know, they're doing great. And I give that credit to growing up in a, in a community. You know, they had disciplers that I'm just so grateful for. Two of my daughters are married now. I love their husbands. Adam and Anel have been married five years now, five years wow. this summer. And then Adam used to work for me, so it's like I had my eye on him, just checking it out. <laughs> you, know, you know, we've known Brian since he was just a little guy, too. You know, we've been in ministry with him. So, yeah, yeah. one more. Yeah, one more. What uh, what advice would you have for, I mean, we have a daughter of our own who's seven. What advice would you have for parents of boys or girls? Yeah. I guess specifically yeah. girls because you've had three sure. of them. Sure. So there's so many things. But, you know, the one thing that I think is important is they know you love them, but they're not the center of the universe. They really need to know that. And I, and I think they get a lot of security out of knowing how much you value your wife. In your time with her, and that that is a you know a critical part of the whole family is your unity together, and being able to communicate that both by watching that or talking with them. You know, I've always done the daddy date thing. Been really fortunate to have my kids enjoy hanging out with dad and being silly. We laugh a lot in my family. We try not to take each other too seriously. You know, at times we you know laugh when we're goofy. I think humor goes a long way in building some relationship there as well. We had a kind of a guideline as they as they're getting older. You know, our number one r- rule was you have to love people. I've told them this is just kind of a silly, but. It's like as they got to be preteens and teens, as long as you love a lot of people, you can get away with a lot of things in our family, but you gotta love people. Now I have adult children. They would say that the critical thing for them was that we modeled that love. Yeah. I mean, we had people at our house all the time. We talked about our faith all the time, and they got to see that this wasn't just a, a show. It was like, this is what Andrea and I were all about. And it wasn't like we didn't have difficult times. Just wait till Mila's 12 or 13. <laughs> There's a level of insanity that I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I just pray for you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, she just turned seven, and I'm like, whew, this is getting harder. And, I mean, she's an only child, so teaching her to love others it's really hard because there's not... She actually thinks she's the center of the universe. So we'd love to add another family yep. member just for that. That's one of the big reasons we'd like to. So it's like, no, you need to help yeah. serve another person mm-hmm. in this family. You're not the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. So we have almost always had other people live with us. You know, when we first got married, it was Claudia. She lived with us for a year. She was... Uh, she was one of the women that I was in the ministry house with. Right. And she got married a little later. Yep. She lived with us until... We had had two kids. 
until Mia was born. And then my mom lived with us. We've always had somebody. And so, I mean, that kind of helped with, hey, we live to love other people. We demonstrate that by, you know, being willing to sacrifice some of that privacy. Mm-hmm. And they just became part of our family. I think that was a, a good, good it was thing. was good. Mm-hmm. My mom lived with us, so that was kind of fun. My mom's, again, pretty driven woman. She, she calls up. She was living in New York at the time. We lived in Walton Hills near where Yeah, you Delwood, lived, right? right? You guys yep, lived? Yep, right on yeah. the corner. She's like, uh, you know, is that offered it for me to come live with you still there? I'm like, well, yeah. I said, because I'm ready to come move in with you. I'm like, okay, well, we have a really small house. Let me talk to Indre. We'll figure out, maybe we'll put an addition on our house or maybe we'll sell our house and get a bigger house or whatever. But I'll get back to you. You know, this was like in the fall. I said, let's think in maybe by spring we can do something. Two weeks later, she calls up, I sold my house and moving in. Okay, oh. what happened with this? Let's figure this oh. out. Poor Indre. <laughs> Rolled with the punches. Yeah, she was so good with my mom. I mean, my mom's health failed towards the end and Indra was just such a servant there yeah. and day in and day out. And it is a good example for your kids too. I can see how that really is good for them. Okay, so do you want to talk about what's going on in your life now? Sure. What you're up to? Sure. Well, uh, the big thing's the farm <laughs> that we've called the Helping Hands Farm. So this is kind of a actually a pretty involved thing. It seemed like it happened overnight, but there was a lot of things going on prior to that. So I grew up in rural upstate New York. So we had horses and, you know, like five acres and stuff. And my brothers were really into showing horses and doing the whole Western cowboy thing and all that. <laughs> I was different. Horses, I wasn't really into that. I was into sports. Okay. You know, I was the baseball, basketball, you know, tennis, all those kind of things. But I always had a desire to go live, to live in the country again at mm. some point. But Indre grew up in the city, and she was a city girl. Suburban, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I lived in Illinois, right. in the cornfields. Right. But it wasn't like a little neighborhood. So. Right. So she didn't have any desire to do that. And on top of that, you know, we wanted our kids to grow up in a community, you know, where they could ride their bike down the sidewalk and play with friends and all that and not be isolated. And I've seen kids that are just isolated. Their, their whole world become riding a horse or something like that. And, and I'm not sure how healthy that is. They need to learn how to communicate and get their feelings hurt and work through things. And all those kind of things is just part of growing up. Mm-hmm. But I still had this desire to do that. And then a few years ago, I kind of had this whole idea, wouldn't it be fun to... And do something where maybe we live on a farm where there's lots of things going on that we could mentor young folks that maybe can't get into college, help them learn a trade or those kind of things. You know, I'm, I'm not sure. I get million dollar ideas and just a 10 cent purse. Yeah. So I always had lots of ideas, but I, I really wanted to do that and prayed about it for years. I remember cutting your hair and you telling me, and I don't even know how it came up, but you're like, yeah, we started praying about maybe one day buying a farm and people could just camp or just I don't know just something I remember you telling me that and it was it must have been like five years ago yeah, it's, this has been a long time coming. At some point, Keith had brought up, not too long ago, maybe in the last two years ago, he had he, he went to a bad boy's farm. You know, <laughs> his parents sent him there to probably get him out of the house. And, you know, they worked him hard. And Keith was like, hey, we should do this. 
you know, we have quite a few kids in IP, the college ministry, and some of them are on the autism spectrum, so they, they have a tough time even finding a job or even figuring out how to mm-hmm. relate with people. Then we have other kids that just either never had a father figure or just have never figured out life. They mm-hmm. can't seem to get up in the morning, can't even really figure out how to talk to adults and be polite and keep a job and all, all those kind of things. So he's like, I think we should do this. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this lines up with my desire. So you he, know, that he knew of, of your desire to have something. I don't like know. This. I don't know. I think it might have been yeah. a parallel oh, wow. thing. So then I talked to Greg Morsher about that. I'm like, Keith is thinking about doing this. You know, this fits in with you know what I've we've been talking and praying about a lot. He goes, you know, Keith is an amazing visionary. Mm-hmm. Not always the best at the execution part. Mm-hmm. He needs somebody. He says, why don't you do it? And I'm like, I would love to do that. Wow. So, you know, this also fits. I mean, we had a big house of which we used to have lots of people over. Yeah. I mean, every weekend we'd have a gang of girls spend, you know, it was just. Your place was, was the place it in was, high school. Yeah. And, and we don't have a, a church building, so. We were always the place to come, and we loved doing that. Just have mm-hmm. 90 people over. Yeah, in the we had, I mean, I think we pushed over 100 people in the basement for a couple of different meetings. Wow, but, spontaneous dance party. Oh, every that was weekend. just wait to hear. <laughs> yeah, you kids. guys were yeah. like, I remember your guys being the house to go to, and which is so sweet that, and I'm sure you loved it too. Yeah, oh, we did. We got, you know, we really enjoyed that. But at some point, it's like, big house, expensive house. And, and we were willing to do that. And we really prayed a lot about it. It's like, Lord, if, if you want us to maintain this house and such that we, you know, can facilitate things, we will do that. But at the same time, you guys started growing up and your age group grew up and now people are buying their own house. We don't, mm-hmm. we didn't have the only big house. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or us yeah. and the Morshers. But that kind of coincided with this whole farm idea. So then I started looking at farms, and, and farms are really expensive. I looked at several. They're like a half a million dollars. You know, it's like, that's never going to happen. Million. So I was getting kind of discouraged about that. It's like, I don't know if this is ever going to happen. I want to do it, but I don't know if it's ever going to happen because I, I just can't see how I could come up with the money to do that kind of thing. And then... Uh, just like the Lord, you know, he's like, well, let me provide a whole different solution. You're going this way. I got a way better way. So we ended up finding this house that's, you know, just outside of campus. It's like two miles from the, all the ministry apartments. And it was for sale by owner. And we just kind of drove by to get the phone number to call them. And the lady was sitting on the front porch. She goes, well, come on in. Yeah, hold on. I used to be a social director. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not afraid to go yeah. into a new place. Yeah. <laughs> so we go in. It's like, oh, this is so cool. I mean, it's it was built in 1901. So it's got, it's cool, but it's got, yeah, you know, all the issues of a yeah. century home. But it's got a barn. And I go in the barn. It's got a ladder that would go up to a loft. And I'm having flashbacks from my childhood. We didn't have that kind of barn farm, but our neighbors did that we would go. And we would climb up this ladder. It's almost 30 feet high. And we'd climb up the ladder and we would launch ourselves into these hay bales. And we made hay forts. And we just, you know, the kittens. And they had <laughs> just all these farms. And I just had so much fun memories. I'm like, I want to provide that for 
for my friends' kids and my own future grandkids. I mean, that would just be such a cool thing. Of which Mila and you come, which is yeah. Just I was going to say you provided that for yeah. my my kid and many yeah. other kids already. Yeah, so that's really awesome. And that just warms my heart. It just makes it so worthwhile. Getting back, so we're walking through, talking to them. We kind of give them the, this vision of working with kids on the autism spectrum. He goes, and Michael Swardow, who's the previous owner, he goes, he stops. He goes, do you see this tattoo? And it was a tattoo of a um, puzzle piece, which is the symbol of autism. He goes, my grandkid has autism. And it was like, wow, they want us at this house. Mm-hmm. Lord, you're making shit happen that I can't even, I couldn't even fathom. And it was half the price of what I'd seen up to that point. Wow. Yeah, it needs a lot of work, but we got a lot of, a lot of kids that want to work on it. I spent the day, actually, it's been a lot of days. We had a little cottage on there, and it was really run down and stuff. So I've remodeled it, and it's going to be a... Oh, cool. So yeah. people, oh, me, yeah. people can just come hang out and have coffee. and just, yeah. It's such a real tranquil place you know so so that's i guess part of the vision and sage group is our former connect group this group meets uh at our house you know kids on the autism spectrum or on a spectrum of some kind they come they brush the horse and they feed the chickens and they help in the garden that's growing We've got some first-timers coming, and it's really pretty beautiful. God, it's so amazing how God worked that all out. And you can see it from, like, from prayer slash dream to, like, becoming reality. It's just really... And then how it's just two miles down from all of the ministry houses. It's just right there. Yeah. It's like, it's just incredible. Yeah. It's just like God, you know, here I had all these plans of what direction it was going to go. And I was getting all anxious because I was trying to control things. I was like, I don't know how this is ever going to happen. And then boom, hey, I got something better. And it's so close that it's easy for the college kids to come help you because we needed the help. Just put a plug in. People can come any day of the week. People didn't know that. We almost always just a big open house day. But if you want to come and do anything, you know, in the evening or afternoon or whatever, just call me or text me or. So there's that uh, Helping Hands Facebook group too that people post a lot of. Hey, I'm going to be at the farm on Saturday. Who's who's coming? Yeah, which is really cool. It is, and I so enjoy working with all these kids. I mean, it was all part of that whole mentorship, you know, Mm -hmm. giving them a little bit of a vision, a little bit of instruction, and they go do their thing, you Mm -hmm. know, and with their buddies. So it's like a group thing. Getting to know some of the kids that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. previously. Back to the SAGE thing. Um, we were meeting on campus and that kind of fell apart for a number of reasons. And it was just worked out better to meet on the farm. But it's given these kids, you know, a little bit of a vision and purpose too. And they've been doing a lot of teachings as, you know, like planting seeds. And, you know, it's really cool to see. And then, you know, some of the kids, our fellowship kids that, that may be, you know, somewhat on the spectrum, now they're there, but they have a role. Mm-hmm. And they're leading these other young adults and stuff. And it's so cool to watch, you know, I can see, like a Seth, you know, a Seth and, and it's kind of these uh, young women will just kind of look up to Seth. I mean, he's playing a really cool role, and so is Josh. And it wouldn't be so easy for them to play that same role maybe in another situation. But mm-hmm. here, they're playing a really cool role they're really looked up to. If people want to help, if people want to get involved, they can come, obviously, and come there. But what else... 
do you need well, people we, to pray for? Yeah, or? so one of the things to be praying about, we're looking into adding a study center. So we're still trying to get government approval, you know, like permitting and stuff like that. So we could absolutely use prayers on that. You know, we've run into a couple of obstacles. Hopefully they don't become significant. But, you know, we all know that apart from prayer, nothing really happens. Mm -hmm. So there's probably some spiritual opposition there, too. Some of our neighbors are pushing back because I don't know. That nobody likes change or they don't yeah. like what we're doing or something. You know, it's like, who doesn't want that help? You know, folks that need extra help. You know, I think it's one of those cases, well, that's fine for you to do it, but not close to me. <laughs> do it somewhere else, you know. Yeah. So, I don't know. I don't even know if that's really the big issue. But we are running into some difficult things. You know, as far as day-to-day stuff, I mean, this is Indra's full-time job. And it it's every day. There's never a break. The chickens so, don't take a day off. No, it's like ongoing. So if anybody wants to, I mean, that's so cool. I heard Mila and Lauren have offered to come on a Friday and try to help out on Friday morning or something. Mm-hmm. That's that's awesome because it mm-hmm. gives Indra an opportunity to do something other than that. And it's always a challenge. I mean, we, we like to do fellowship vacation stuff with everybody too. It's like now we have all these responsibilities. Yeah, so it's a challenge. to feed yeah, lots so of them. That <laughs> was <laughs> vacation, we had like ton of people taking shifts. That was awesome yeah. to yeah. see actually the schedule on the Facebook group of, hey, I'm going to take this day and somebody's got this evening. And so huge because yeah. it gave us a, a week to kind of relax and spend time with our family. So it was really, really helpful. Mm-hmm. But there'll be more of those days you know once if this whole study center comes to fruition there'll be all kinds of opportunities to help build that for the most part outside of just getting the footers in and stuff is i think we're going to build it up build it from the fellowship so yeah if not you know i'm confident the lord has something else in mind you know i could get all anxious about it and try to control things but it's like no i'm not going to it's like hey we're going to do our due diligence and pray about it and we'll see you know maybe there's something better Mm-hmm. You know, again, you know, the Lord has things and insight that we don't have. We'll see what you know where He ends up going with it. Todd Muller. Todd Muller, special <laughs> guest. I've always Muller. wanted to be on the This Joe Show podcast. I can't believe I get the. Well, you're probably gonna edit it out. <laughs> no. well, do you have anything you'd like to ask? Ted. Good. Ted do you know where the, Andrea the, the nearest Dunkin' Donuts is? The nearest Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin', I think actually it's called these days. Dunkin'. I think there's one Blue on... Blue Casas at Dunkin'. I gotta go. 59. Figure out. 59 oh, yeah. Valley Taco yeah, Bell. Yeah, 59 right next to... It's a two-story Dunkin' uh, Donuts. It's fancy. Okay. You know where that is? Uh, on 59. Ted Ellis got the answers. So you did ask me to talk about barriers. So I think I had two fairly significant barriers that kept me from knowing the Lord. One was my pride. I just thought I was smarter than everybody else. Mm. That, you know, believers, they're just being bamboozled because they that hadn't thought through everything. It wasn't like I'm Mr. Deep Thinker or anything, but it was just arrogance. It's yeah. like I never really studied it or anything like that. The other part was I, I was arrogant. You know, I needed to present myself as having everything together on the outside. And I think through the suffering and just living life, not trying to have my life all together, not that I wouldn't like it, but I'd rather be honest and present myself as who I am, be a little more humble, or at least try to be more humble. 
So I think God has worked on that. So during that time when you, okay, so there's these barriers, would you say that it was like life was not working enough to where you're like, okay, like this is actually not as fulfilling as I thought it'd be? Again, my thought was, hey, if I go to grad school and get the right job, then I will have more joy in my life. Which is typical thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's I mean, I pretty can, much I can think what, like that even now. Yeah. If I get this or that the right way, yeah. then everything's going to work the way it should. So It's really easy to fall into that, yeah. even as a believer in Christ. So I think God's given me some opportunity to suffer a few times related to that, just being so disenchanted with my job and dissatisfied and grumbly and all those kind of things. It, it's almost miraculous in that when I've come to a point where it's like, you know what, I just am going to be grateful and be thankful for what I have. When I've come to that point, it's amazing how many things have happened, even work-related. It was almost like God withheld that because it's like, no, I, I need humble Ted, not grumbly Ted. I need you to depend on me and not, you know, just kind of force all these issues. You know, when I've rested in him and just depended, it's like, wow, all of a sudden these amazing things have been presented to me. That's good to hear. It's That's so relatable. I, I know I've been in places like that, so that's it's cool how the Lord does that. Another thing that I thought of that I haven't heard, I mean, we used to get together for breakfast with Todd, actually, mm-hmm. about your health and how that's going. And I, I yeah. wondered about that. So, so that was kind of a trying time, I guess to some degree still is, but... That, that's know, kind being, of an understatement, I being, think. Well, you know, right? I got diagnosed with diabetes, and then I just had severe fatigue, and I didn't know what was going on. And I got diagnosed with a, a form of sleep, sleep apnea. It's not the typical one is, you know, you fall asleep and your tongue kind of falls back, and it's they call it obstructive. I have one that's more neurological. Yeah, so... Doesn't sound good. Yeah, well, it took a while to figure it out, but it's still a real struggle for me. I don't sleep well, but there was a, t- a time where I was just sleep-deprived. I was, I was like a zombie. It was horrible. I can still have days like that, but for the most part, it's gotten much more manageable. You know, I just uh, pray a lot more, probably, than I've during those times. And it's also just an attitude thing. Instead of just like, oh, I can't believe I didn't only got four hours sleep last night. It's going to be a horrible day. It's like, no, I got four hours of sleep, you know, and I can, with the Lord, I can make this work. And it has happened, just having a much more dependent attitude has really helped me a lot again it's not like it's perfect i still have to struggle at times but it's so much better than it used to be you know i still well and then i have so on top of that i have atrial fibrillation which is a kind of a weird heart thing that uh, i get weird electrical impulses that don't follow the normal channels and make my heart go crazy Hmm. um I've been in the hospital for that a few times. But what seems to be the trigger for me, which is really unusual, there's been no other studies that have shown this, is caffeine. So, you know, I don't do any caffeine, or I do decaf coffee now. Oh. But but here's the struggle. It's like, okay, I don't sleep so well, and I can't do caffeine. But And you can't <laughs> do sugar. <laughs> yeah. So, oh my you God, know, all but... The, all the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> ripped away from you. But it all seems pretty manageable, getting off of caffeine. I haven't been... had. Actually, I had one episode on 
Mia's uh, rehearsal dinner for whatever reason. I think I had a cup of coffee that day, but it was just one. I did. I thought I could do that. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm gonna miss her her wedding. Oh. It was my heart was racing at about 150 beats a minute for hours, but it broke. And then uh, I'm like, oh, I guess zero coffee for me. Supposedly, it also doesn't relate to stress. But, you know, that's a stressful situation if your kid getting married or whatever. You know, diabetes sucks. I love to eat, you know. Oh, the I diabetes. Love, yeah, the diabetes. The sugar. <laughs> the sugar man. <laughs> you know, a lot of my friends have, have said, Ted, you just seem like so uh, so happy, you know. And, uh, and I, I agree. This living on the farm has been a real joy for us. <laughs> yep. And I give Indre a huge amount of credit with that because, I mean, she's taken on way more responsibility than me. She just seems like she loves it, you know, and she's told me as much, which just happy wife, happy life kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, if she hadn't taken that on, we would have never done it. So she's always been a really huge supporter. When I started my own company a number of years ago, she was willing to let me do that. It was not the easiest eight or nine years, but got through it. We did. So you yeah. guys have done quite a bit in your 31 years of marriage. Raised three beautiful girls ran a business, now you're farming. Well, so here's another thing relative to farming that maybe I can encourage those that are in a similar life situation that I am. Kind of before we decided we were going to really go do this farm thing, it's like, okay, we're getting old, we're getting tired. Maybe we should just get an RV and travel and do those kind of things. And at some point, I, I really thank God for this. It's like, no, that's not how we want to finish up life. You mm. know, it's like... Let's, instead of pull back, let's push in and, and get more involved. Yeah. yeah, I'm not as, have as much energy or strength that I maybe once had, but actually I'm gaining farmer strength. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> cool. I'm For like sure. always working. You know? Gosh, I want to finish well. You mm. know? I'm, not, I'm 58, so I got a few years, but you know, I look forward to having more people come to the farm and you know, kids show up with their, or folks show up with their kids. I'm the first one to want to take them on a hayride, you know? And yeah, we were we were hayriding within minutes of being there. <laughs> I love that. And I was kind of thinking, is it okay if we come? You know, what's yeah. it going to be like? Oh, and you're like, you're taking us around the property. Yeah. We had a great yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. It was Gotta awesome. Do it. Gotta Mila's do it. so funny about that farm. She, like, tells everybody that how much treasure loves her. <laughs> probably treasure does. She probably does. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, ah. Treasure really knows you. Yeah. I don't want to burst the bubble. Yeah. Out, you know. Well, I can tell you, Jack, the the donkey loves women. Men, not so much. Really. I finally have warmed up to him a little bit, but mm-hmm. he loves the or girls. He's warmed up to you, you mean? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you have future plans? Of I heard some possibly goats. Yeah, we we've talked about the the miniature goats. We've also talked about alpaca. Ooh. I think at this point we're gonna we're treading water with just what we have. So it's, it's a matter of trying to, you know, hey, can we get everything stable? Yeah. I mean, the animal part is pretty stable for us. At some point, Andrea and I'd like to actually have a real kitchen. You know, we left a really nice yeah. kitchen. You know? <laughs> that was a pretty sweet kitchen yeah. in your so, so now we don't even have, like, a dishwasher. And kitchen's, like, half the, you know, probably a quarter of the size. And it looks so. cool. Yeah, but it's not it's as not functional. functional. Yeah. yeah, you know the the sage kids. I mean, they're coming over and they want to be involved in stuff, and it's it's so cramped at this point. So we have some ideas and some vision that are hoping to do. I've been trying to actually get the 
the coffee cottage finished up. One that can be our remote kitchen, and but we're gutting ours and oh, making yeah. that happen. I'm also looking to add a uh, what they call a lean-to shed at the end of the barn, so I can take all the stuff, farm equipment and stuff, store it in there. So then the barn can be a, a meeting space, which mm-hmm. I I think it's just a super cool space. Yeah, it is cool. So God, you could yeah. Weddings or yeah, something. Yeah, it could be really, really, really fun. But, cool. uh, you know, it just takes time and money. And You did a great job. You said you weren't good at interviewing. Well, it's talking with friends. Social director, Ted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. $3,000 a month. That's insane. insane. That's That'd be insane in 80, now to have that What year did budget. you say it? In 85? Early 80s. Yeah. Mid, I mean, because that's mid, a lot. Early. That's, like, legitimately a lot of money now. Yeah. Well, we also yeah. had 85. Guys in our fraternity, it wasn't small. It was huge. Still, I like mean, I, you got you got eighty guys in the fraternity. You got to yeah, have a budget. Yeah. <laughs> you got to understand we're gonna have some decent parties here. Oh, yeah. we, so I mean, we had we had a party where we built scaffolding three stories high and totally a, safe. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and a uh, slide down to a pool that we built. <laughs> Did this come out of the three thousand dollar budget? Yeah, it was all bottom? part of yeah. So, but somebody got injured. We had a sign that said, you know, go down one on at a time, you know, whatever. It's three girls went down. The girl in the middle got crunched or whatever. So we had to go to court on that. So I represented the fraternity, <laughs> just just like in. Uh, yeah, this is like this is like an eighties movie, Ted. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm like at the court with my tie on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, so that ridiculous. So what happened to her? We ended like, up settling out of court. We had insurance or like whatever. Like, how injured was she like? I, you know, I don't know. But she sued us for 100000 I think we settled for ten. So, yeah. There was a fraternity across the uh, parking lot from us. And it was like our rival fraternity or whatever. So we would have bottle rocket wars, you know. Pew! <laughs> So one of them landed and hit our curtain and caught the curtain on fire. But the beat beat that. So I had a friend, Brian Strickler. Lupus was his his nickname. Kind of looked like Lupus from um, Bad News Bears. Anyway, we he lived in California, and I was visiting my dad. So we drove down to Mexico, way beyond Tijuana, to the areas you're not allowed to go without a passport, but in a GTO on back roads that nobody should be driving as fast as we could possibly drive. Smoking dope. I didn't smoke dope, but everybody else did. Had dope in the car. And we get into this little town and bought dynamite. <laughs> So, I mean, it wasn't fireworks. It was dynamite, little sticks of dynamite, of which then we took this dynamite back to Purdue. Oh, yeah. So here we have these, yeah, I, you know, we never get away with it today. So, so we got these little bottle rockets back and forth, and we lit one of these sticks of dynamite and threw it out the window. It rolls, and thank goodness it didn't land under a car, because it would have exploded. As it was, it left a huge crater in the in the parking lot. It was the loudest noise you've ever heard in your life. It's kaboom, and everybody's like, everybody's lowering their windows, because we know the police, and the police came. Oh, oh yeah. Gosh. And then push Ted out into yeah. the front of yeah. yeah, I don't know, officer. Hold on, guys. Let me get my tie. my <laughs> <laughs> transport that dynamite because we were afraid that the border guards would look in the trunk so we put it in the front 
compartment in the engine. It's like, what could go wrong? Yeah. Oh my god. That gosh. GTO actually had a space for two batteries, and we only had one battery, so it was kind of but a place still, for that. something like Still a little place it. for dynamite yeah. there, right yeah. next so, to the engine. So what could go yeah, wrong? We got, we're carrying like, dynamite and pot in Mexico <laughs> with four teenage boys. What could go wrong? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, now, do you have any fun um, chill stories or like any like real fun that oh, period gosh. of time. I had so much fun with those kids. Yeah. There's so many things that we did. God, I remember doing in your guys' basement those um challenges oh, where yeah. you're like I don't fear even, factor. The yeah. Fear factor. Fear factor. I remember one time we were out there teeping people and uh Seth he's like my parents would not allow me to do this. <laughs> he stayed in the car, you know, he was so anxious. I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm not going to be part. This wouldn't be acceptable to my parents. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, toilet paper. I was like, I'd like to have a nickel for every time our house got God, toilet how paper often during that time. Guys... All, the, all the time. Yeah. I remember one time we had a, a talent show in Henry Beach dressed up like a, a poet and read a poetry. It was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah Remember that? Really oh good. my God. He was, and it was it completely deadpan. Gosh, yeah. I remember him because we used to be in um, the, the uh, Beach's home church and it was at their house and he was really young and he'd always be like running around in his underwear. Yeah. And it's just, <laughs> we'd get there and it, it was like, I don't know if it was like a joke to him. And we'd be like, oh, Henry's in his underwear again. <laughs> yeah, I'm finally able, to, now that all my kids have moved out and uh, all the different people who lived with us have moved out, I finally get to walk around in my underwear in my own house. It's <laughs> probably nice. I feel a lot of freedom. Thanks for listening. This Joe show is me, Joe, and I was joined on today's episode by Ted and Andre Howell and my wife, Lauren. This episode was recorded in July 2019 on the campus of Kent State University. Our intro music is Folly of Youth by Semaphore, used under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 international license. Do you remember your own name? Do you remember how you Closing song is The Keeper of Histories by Defy Them All, used under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 4.0 license. Both songs can be found at freemusicarchive.org. Did you tell him your story? He keeps recording because yeah, I always people go start okay. Spilling. So I think we're done, and then you know, people inevitably start people out. start. Yeah, you had the dynamite story after yeah. we said we were done. So. <laughs> you know, we had so much fun with the chill kids. JHQ was our first adventure. Was and you know who came up with JHQ? Sean. Sean McCallum. Yeah. yeah, we had a little competition, a logo competition called the Jesus Headquarters. I love that. I do too. 
he loves babies, so he wants you guys to have a baby for sure. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I've said this over the years, but I felt like it was hard to believe, like, when we had Mila, we had difficulty getting pregnant, and I got to the point where I'm like, We're not, this is never going to happen. Um, there was a couple people, Sean included, were praying for us faithfully, where, like, I had given up hope basically so i'm always grateful to sean for that um, howard hughes was another person yeah. who was mm-hmm. oh, really yeah. faithful and praying oh, yeah. for Absolutely. us that 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 would happen thanks to the prayers guys they were faithfully praying along and it did happen so mm-hmm. very grateful to sean for that yeah connor is asking me how it was going yesterday too both of the both of the mccallum boys asked actually all three because because kyle asked too all right i get a f- little bit of a funny story okay. with chill we got a uh, cell group made up of Connor, Seth, um, Chris, Chris Burka, Nick Neal, and somebody else. And everybody has a neurosis of some kind. And so we go to blowout camp. I mean, just the whole scene, everybody's out of their comfort zone. And I'm in camp with all these neurotics. <laughs> they can't sleep, afraid of spiders. I mean, it was just like... they were Some swim. Uh, yeah, we, one of them was deathly afraid of swimming. <laughs> it was like... Jesus, they take just, the wheel. Yeah, exactly. It was, the, it was like no sleep all night. Dad, Dad, you sleep? <laughs> like, no. Like the, no, I'm the, not. The whole night, you know? Yeah, one of them's like standing on top of his bunk. He says, I think there's a spider here. It was just like... After like two days of no sleep, you know, it's oh, just God. like, oh, I love those kids, but you guys are going to kill me. 